Greetings, Community Solutions friends, and welcome to episode 32 of the Community Solutions podcast. My name is Jack Terman Jr., and I'm faculty in the Department of Social and Behavioral Sciences at the Indiana University Fairbanks School of Public Health in beautiful downtown Indianapolis, and it's my great pleasure to serve as the host of this podcast. Thanks so much for listening and We always appreciate when you share our podcast with your friends and your family and are always really excited when we hear about how listeners have applied what they've learned to build healthy, hopeful communities around them. Uh, Today's episode, episode 32, uh, really builds from episode 31. In episode 31, we met uh, Miss Patrice Graham Adams, who is a a certified health education specialist and um, the community liaison for the amazing Dip In project here in Indianapolis, which is a community-based diabetes prevention program. So today, our student, Daniel Chua, talks with Dr. Lisa Staten. Uh, Dr. Staten is the fearless leader of the Department of Social and Behavioral Sciences and is really an amazing public health scholar and activist and a very passionate humanitarian. She has dedicated her career to working in partnership with communities to reduce chronic disease, uh, especially diabetes. Um, Her work and her career show the power of community university partnerships uh, to address community development and to promote better health and social outcomes. In this episode, she's going to talk rather extensively uh, about work that she did at along the U.S.-Mexico border years ago, um, where she worked with communities there to um, help prevent diabetes and to foster diabetes control. This work was a, a large, comprehensive effort to really build the capacity of communities and individuals and organizations there uh, to address diabetes amongst those individuals. She is now the director of uh, the and the originator and the creator of the Dip In project here in Indianapolis. And uh, so the city uh, and the university is so grateful that she's here and is doing this really important community-based work to prevent diabetes in neighborhoods here. You'll learn a lot in this episode about the importance of community health workers as well. She uh, does incredible job of partnering with communities and growing community health workers and, and really mentoring them um, in their important work. So there's a lot to learn here, and we're so glad that you're joining us. And I know that you will thoroughly enjoy my dear friend and colleague, Lisa Staten. So let's join the conversation. Take care, everyone.
Uh, welcome back, guys. My name is Daniel Chua, and I am an MPH student at the Fairbanks School of Public Health. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Staten, a professor here at the School of Public Health at IUPUI. So, Dr. Staten, can you uh, give us a little background, introduce yourself? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, as Daniel said, I'm a faculty member in, um, in the Department of Social Behavioral Sciences here at IU Fairbanks School of Public Health, where I'm also the department chair. I have a PhD in biological anthropology. That's a little surprising to some. It's not a background specifically in public health, but it is a beautiful combination in my perspective. Um, I've spent about the past 25 years now working in chronic disease prevention and control, both along the US-Mexico border and then now more recently here in Indianapolis, where I am the principal investigator of a project called the Diabetes Impact Project. Indianapolis neighborhoods, and we fondly call that dip in. So I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much. Uh, can you give the audience a little bit of uh, background information about your work that you've done in the past? Sure. I uh, was at the University of Arizona for about uh, 10 to about 10 to 15 years. And at that time, I became involved with a project that was um, along the US-Mexico border where we were really working on diabetes prevention and control because there were some disturbing patterns starting to happen. So during that time, I, my role on those projects has been everything from helping to design interventions to help, so chronic disease prevention interventions, as well as being, um, the principal investigator on larger projects where we really went after things in a very holistic approach of which one of those was individualized kind of interventions. And I've been able to use that model and bring that model here to Indianapolis. And so that's kind of, that's exciting. That sounds awesome. Um, so what, you know, what interested you in public health? It's funny, as um, an anthropologist, um, I was working on my master's degree in skeletal biology about as far away um, from public health, uh, the other end of the spectrum, and realized that there, I really wanted to do something that was more applied and had a greater impact on the people who were currently living. And so ended up doing a postdoctoral fellow or fellowship at the University of Arizona and it was interesting because the person I was working with was also helping to develop this new college of public health there. And honestly, I really had no exposure to public health, um, except for the fact that I'd sat in on one or two lectures of an epidemiology class and thought, oh, that would be interesting. If I was, before I'd started my PhD program, I might've gone that pathway if I'd have known about it. Um, I got to the University of Arizona and became, involved in a project I think we're going to talk more about where I really saw the power of the community voices coming to the university to ask for assistance in solving some problems that they were having, um, especially around seeing these patterns of diabetes show up in the community that they had never seen before and being able to watch how what it was like to see this partnership of community members, community organizations, the university, um, state health department, all come together and really work to start to tackle a problem. And it was anthropology I love, but we do a lot of studying and watching and standing back. 
and it was really exciting to see what the dynamics were like and how we could make a difference by working together as this great big team. And I was hooked at that point. That was it. So um, ever since, I'm more of a public health person than an anthropologist, I would say. <laughs> and so you had mentioned, you know, the, that you'd worked on projects related to chronic prevention and control um, along the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, how did that work, you know, get started? And so what is interesting, I was um, a postdoc. I was working on some things at um, at the school. Well, it was had not it was not yet a school. I was doing things like figuring out how to assess um, nutrition and how to um, monitor physical activity patterns because that's what I'd done as part of my PhD program. And at the same time, there had been some folks and faculty and staff at the College of Public Health who had been working with people along the US-Mexico border in various communities for many years on many different topics. And what to me demonstrates a trusted relationship in that the people in one of the communities, specifically school nurses in one of the communities approached the folks at the university and said, I've been a school nurse for like 20 years and we'd see diabetes every once while. Now we have a lot, a lot of kids with diabetes and we just don't understand what's happening. We need help. And at that point, it was great. It wasn't like we sat and waited, oh, we need to write a grant. We need to figure out what to do. Just this huge team of people came together, both academics and community organizations and residents came together to kind of start to strategize how to do this, how to how do we figure out what's going on so we can figure out what to do about it. And that was kind of the starting point. So, and it, it ever since then, I feel like the only way we need to tackle any of these problems are working together as teams with um, community residents and partners as key members at the table. Right, um, you know, teamwork is such an important part uh, working with different stakeholders within the community. Um, how did the team, you know, work to address diabetes uh, prevention and control? So the first step really was once, uh, once lots of meetings, right, of bringing people together and realized that since we didn't really know what was going on and the question was, honestly, is this a real issue or is this just kind of some weird blip that's happening? So um, a bunch of people came together to create, um, to do what we do in pub um, public health a lot, which is we did a survey. We did a randomized household survey going door to door in this one community. And, um, but the de design of the survey was done in partnership with, um, with all of those people that I mentioned. And we were lucky because it was also, Phoenix was a site of an NIH research center. Uh, that was studying diabetes in Native American population, and they were at the table, and so we were really able to get a bunch of experts. Um, and at that point, was I actually got pulled in just out of luck of the draw because a huge piece of diabetes is physical activity, and they needed somebody to work on the physical activity question portion of it. And so I lucked into being pulled into that. And so we first did this random household survey and then based on that information, we were able to get a legislative appropriation. What we, when they happen, you're called pork until you get it, then you're like, yay, it's a lovely 
a lovely thing. Um, but it was to create something called the Border Health Strategic Initiative, and which we called Border Health C. And it really was this multi-component process to address diabetes. The, the ultimate goal was to make policy changes. I think a lot of times in public health, we're focused on getting to policy changes because those are the things that can be put into much more concrete and sustainable ways. But it, it was very clear in the three counties and along the border that there was nothing there. There was nothing around diabetes prevention or control. And so we really did something to kind of start to target as much as, as we could different areas. And we did this thing that we called the spider web with policy at the middle. But then we had a whole bunch of different components that if you're familiar with public health, this very similar to the socioecological model. We really went after each of the different pieces. And so if you think about the individual level, the kind of center of the socioecological model or the onion um, was the primary prevention component. And that was the thing that I became responsible for. We then had another piece that was around diabetes management, but it wasn't just about the individuals. We did have one aimed at individuals, but we also had one aimed at families because it's critical that family members understand because if somebody has diabetes in your family, they're not, they can't be in it alone. It needs, everybody in the family needs to understand what does nutrition look like? Why are there mood swings happening? So all of those pieces need to be part of it. We then had a component that was looking at the schools. So trying to move towards prevention. And, and um, so we worked with the CDC's school health index to assess what was going on in the school environment and make changes and, and encourage changes in the school environment to become more healthy. We also worked in, with uh, the clinics in the area to see how they could better um, implement the diabetes care guidelines. Sounds, sounds like it's easy, but there's some pieces of those guidelines that are really hard to do. And so the idea was that let's focus on a few things and do those really, really well. And so we had another group of people working on those. And then ultimately we had a policy group, which was called our special action group or the unfortunate name SAG, um, that was really focused on policy. And they were working on things like getting a dialysis center. We had one community where people refused to get dialysis because it took hours to get to this dialysis center. Family members had to take on time off. And if you are in a situation where you don't have a family member who can do that, or you're too, you know, these are not high income communities, people, it was, it was not easy for people to do this. So they would choose not to, and that's not a pleasant thing if you choose not to do dialysis. We knew it's a death sentence. And we also had people working on things like when people did development in communities, adding sidewalks to be a critical piece or adding new parks or implementing, um, lower fat milks in this in the grocery stores that weren't present before they just weren't there so you couldn't tell people to drink lower fat milk because it wasn't there so it's this big web and so that's kind of how we how we um started to approach it knowing that you can't get to policy if you have all of these other concerns happening and so let's work on all of them and at the same time you can then go okay that's okay we can put a little energy into policy Right. And so you had mentioned that you were initially responsible for developing the prevention program called Pasos Adelante. 
Am I good? Am, did I pronounce that correctly? Very close. Pasos okay. <laughs> adelante. Adelante. Okay. And that means right. st steps forward. Okay. And uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that program? Sure. Um, it's a a great program. It it we a common thread across a lot of those things that I just described are a huge reliance on community health workers. Uh, community health workers are trusted, respected members of their community who um, then serve as a bridge in many ways between services and resources and things like that to either the health system or even research or um, academic institutions. And so this program, uh, PASAs, was a 12-week program where we um, recruited people to come in. They did not have to have any um, chronic disease. The goal was that it was a prevention program, but also recognized for a lot of people, um, more than 50% of our population probably had, especially if you got, as you got older, had diabetes. And so it was a combination of people who either had um, diabetes or were actually working on prevention. And we based that curriculum on a CDC program, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention program called Su Corazon Su Vida, which is your heart, your, your, your heart, your life. And it was really aimed, as, as it says, on heart disease. And so we took that curriculum because there were community health workers already working in the three counties. And several groups really kind of liked the design and format and structure of that particular curriculum. And then we added diabetes content to it. So if you're aware, there's so many overlaps and connections between diabetes and heart disease that it made tons of sense. And then we also added in some components about advocacy. So things like if we're gonna promote physical activity, but if in your neighborhood, there are no sidewalks or are there dogs running free, <laughs> that it scares, stops you from, um, from walking. Or we had some situations where sprinklers would go at the perfect. So this is Arizona, this is Yuma, Arizona, really close to Death Valley. If your only place you want time you wanna walk is early in the morning. And if the sprinklers are going in early in the morning, then that's a, a, a barrier that could be overcome. So we worked with people to figure out who is it who is it that you can contact to make to to make some cha easy changes, not like major policy changes, but easy changes. And then we also added walking groups to it so that the idea was you would be in a class one day a week where part of the time you're learning things, doing activities, but you're also and being physically active. And then through the time of the program, you would eventually get up to the five days a week of 30 minutes or more of moderate activity. And so they we did walking groups outside of the classes. And so that's kind of the, the main structure. And it really was around topically around nutrition, physical activity, recognizing symptoms and signs and, and how do you deal with uh, diabetes or heart disease if you have it. And so we had multiple, multiple that, that project actually went on for probably five or six years solid and we had really nice um, measure outcomes both drops in body mass index um, improvements in cholesterol improvements in blood glucose level 
And one of the cool things is um, some other folks after I left Arizona had done a follow-up study and were able to track some of the participants three to six years later, and they were still seeing increased levels of physical activity and some some reduction in, it's funny, milk, um, whole milk consumption, which is a nice positive impact. Um, and so that's rare to be able to follow up three to six years later. That's great to see the impact that the program has had within the community. You know, you, you said it's had such a huge impact um, and has led to great health outcomes. <clears throat> so overall, what was your biggest challenge in creating and implementing the program? I think, so remember I said I was a biological anthropologist. I had no idea how to do interventions like this. Um, it was all new. And, but the team, because I think, because I'd been a good um, worker on the physical activity assessment component, they're like, okay, Lisa, you can do this. And you can do this because the word was the community health workers in the three areas were already doing a chronic disease prevention program. And so we thought really what we were going to be doing was just going in and kind of just documenting it and trying to maybe include a few measures so we could measure things consistently across the three sites. So we thought the program was basically there. And I think that's why they said, okay, you can do this. Um, but instead, it turned out that all of the places were doing chronic disease prevention but they were doing just a whole variety of different things. Um, some were just giving a talk here or there, some were doing a, an actual curriculum, but maybe a three-week curriculum and things like that, so sorry. Um, so what we ended up doing is having to basically start from scratch and design everything. Like I said, we didn't start totally from scratch because we, we found one that we could use the framework and the basic structure of that Sucors and Suvida. But so that was a big challenge and a surprise, right? So you think you're going to be ready to run and then, whew, oh no, we have to start all over and we have to get three different counties to agree on this intervention that we wanted, that we're going to do. So that was fun, but, but it was designed by having the community health workers have a major voice in how it was, how it was developed. Um, Another piece that was really, really challenging and is consistently challenging, I think, is at the time we were implementing the program, there were a lot of new legislation that was really anti-immigrant. And as a result, it became very hard for many people to want to participate in anything, regarded, regardless of whether or not they had been living in residents of the area for 20 years, so many of the families in the areas have been there generations after generations. Um, there was a, a time where Border Patrol would be sitting outside every fast food joint, or they would be sitting outside of the daycare centers, and it just became this oppressive setting. And I want to make, make it clear that it, regardless of what your documentation status was, it was oppressive. And so people stopped participating in things. And I think that's still, there's still some challenges with that um, clearly and so one of the things that was really really to me inspiring to see was that our because our programs were run by community health workers that lived in those neighborhoods that were from those areas those county those communities they had a huge level of respect and quite honestly the it didn't really matter if 
people understood that this was a university program. I mean, not to hide it from them or anything, but we didn't make a big deal that this is a university. Instead, this is the this is a community health worker program from the university. And so we really did not have problems with people not being willing to participate. And in fact, we had lots of other organizations come to us and say, can you help us? And you're like, well, we can't help you because, you, I mean, you need to have folks that are trusted and things like that. You can't just rely on us to recruit for you because that's not the whole piece. But um, so that was really, we weren't sure exactly how that was going to impact things in the long run. Um, and then I would say the last thing was that um, I was kind of naive at the time and thought, okay, diabetes prevention and control, let's do chronic, let's do physical activity and let's talk about nutrition. And then you start to realize, and not many people, it's obvious, but how challenging life is for so many people. And that chronic disease is not something that's at the beginning at the, of the list to deal with if you don't know where your food's coming from or if you don't know um, where, um, how you're going to pay your bills this month or just, just huge life stressors. And so getting people to folks that are older and once they have chronic disease, you can get them to participate because now they're like, oh, I have to deal with this. It's still not always the forefront, but for folks that we wanted, the younger ones that where we want to focus on prevention, it is the last thing people want to focus on. So that's always been a challenge to get younger and it's harder to get men at the table. So those are a couple challenges. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I guess last thing to wrap things up. Um, so how can individuals take action in their community to address, you know, the chronic disease prevention side of things? Yeah, I think it's hugely important that people are thinking that are not thinking that health and chronic disease prevention is just about going to the doctor. That's a huge piece, but it needs to think bigger and it's not about just the healthcare system. And so I would suggest in the communities, that's what I do is in the community setting. So it's, it's, it's about being involved, getting engaged in your community, um, working with others, things like social isolation is a huge risk factor for chronic disease. And so becoming more engaged in your community and trying to work with um, organizations that are, are already there, already working on things so that you can take a kind of help to contribute to the more holistic approach of improving the quality of life, improving the environmental structures and things like that so that they're supportive and this very um, we, pre we frequently say it's not my quote, but you know, make, let's make the healthy choice the easy choice. If it's easy to walk someplace, people choose to walk. If their light, you know, street lights are burnt, burnt out and they're broken sidewalks, that's the last thing people are going to do. So let's figure out how to make the, the things that reduce our risk factors the easier choice. I love that quote, by the way. Um, thank <laughs> really you, should thank be. Really should figure out who exactly said that first. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Dr. Satan, for joining us today. Um, thank you for taking time out of your day. I know you're a really busy person, so thank you again. Thank you very much. That was fun.